It is totally refreshing to watch this. Oh yeah. Fascist boobs getting ensnared in their own idiocy. Oh yeah. Bringing innocent people to the brink of death. Oh yeah. It's time for this to happen. We all just have to deal with it now. Hello, and welcome to the rules of acquisition. I, f <laughs> I totally forgot how I usually enter the show. That was weird. I, I say hello with a different inflection and it all goes up. Hello, and welcome to the rules of acquisition a podcast where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The best, the best. The, I just turned into a robot with that was told to explain love and my brain stopped working. <laughs> this is the best. Did you have a reverie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the best show. Hey, it started. Hey, Wade. Yeah. These violent delights have violent ends. <laughs> oh. Kill all humans. Must kill all humans. And then my smoke cart started coming out of my ears and, and Captain Kirk is victorious. <laughs> But yeah, yep, this is uh, uh, this is the rules of acquisition. We're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah, this is a TV show that's pretty great. Does a lot of great things before other TV shows were doing things as great. Feels like it's even doing Escape the Room before that was a thing. I'll talk about that later. That's oh, wait a minute. What's the other thing I say? Oh, also, uh, my name is Wade Bowen. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And also, somewhere back there, we have Hugh Crawford. Hello, gentlemen. How are we doing? I'm doing... We're doing great. Yeah, I'm do, doing better than my discombobulated state might have you think. Yes. We're, we're talking about an episode called Civil Defense. Is that right? That is right. This is uh, episode seven, uh, season three. This originally aired on November 7th, 1994. I'm going to read the IMDb storyline because it's a little bit longer and it goes with better detail about what actually happens. O'Brien and Jake are preparing one of the old ore processing units to convert it for use as a deuterium refinery. I don't know if that checks out. <laughs> anyway, Cisco checks up on him just as Jake finds a strange file in the database which can't be deleted. O'Brien accidentally trips a Cardassian security alert and must enter a password but fails. Suddenly, the room's locked down and a recorded message from Gul Dukat appears on view screens, warning the Bajoran workers to surrender or face consequences. But their troubles, and that of the stations, are far from over. So yeah, that's basically what, what happens here. Um, I like this episode quite a bit, guys. Right off the top, what do you guys, how do you feel about this episode? Oh, I liked it a lot too. I yeah. thought this, yeah. Deuterium? Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, Deuterium, I think that's what, but uh, who cares about that? Yeah, this episode's great, I thought. I have a question for both of you, and I don't know if we've covered it at some point or not, but have we ever gone over the logic of having any sort of mining operation off-world? <laughs> yeah, in orbit, yeah. In orbit. Have we ever, like, what was the logic behind that? Yeah, I don't... Why? I, unless... Why? Yeah, that's like... Was it left over from when it was initially going to be based on the planet and then they priced it out and said we can't afford it and so they just did it in a studio and said we'll build a set? I think the idea of making it a mining operation is just a dumb idea. <laughs> sure. Like, I don't think you can polish the turd on this Okay. One. So it like, wasn't just me. I mean, the like, inherent logic of it, so, it escapes me because you essentially you have a concentration camp 
on one level and a food court right above it, <laughs> you know, the promenade. Yeah. And it makes it, it's a little bit weird hey. when they go down there and they want to convert it. And you think, well, not only that, but you mine things by taking things out of like the earth, the, and then, like, yeah. the earth or whatever. If it was built on top of a meteor yeah, yeah. or like a dead comet or something, that would be in, that you could do that. But it looks like that they have to cart raw shit up to Deep Space Nine and then throw it into the bottom and then like at the bottom right they have to like but chis- going back to hugh's comment yeah when the next concentration caps come around you better bet there's gonna be a food court yes <laughs> it's, it's gonna be like there's gonna be a carl's jr up there right oh yeah yeah come up here and spend all your money on this stuff and then we'll yeah. then hey spend all your money here and hey and, and we'll get you a good job up here too where you can spend your money on all this, uh, you know, camp cash like they used to do. In the- it's kind of like when they used to have company towns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's com- like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, like I don't understand the whole – what were they mining before? What were the Cardassians mining? Uh, they were mining – it was a uridium processing facility. Okay. So uridium is not like a thing that naturally exists in the open space of ga- vastness of space. Uh, does it not? So like – is it? Are you talking as a physicist here? or I'm saying that they were having to physically take something up to a space station. Right. Then they refine it And then, and then it sift there. through it. Yeah, right. it's weird. Right. And no possible function of economics is that system ever better than just building the refinery at the mining site. That was my problem. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> it was because people – I mean – there's no internal logic other than your workforce can't escape. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, how cheap is teleportation? They probably just teleport the uranium instead of having shuttles, right? That's okay. true. I mean, if they wanted to it's make still, it, like, it a concentra- make like a concentration camps don't have, they don't have to be mining something. They could just be making license plates for Cardassian war, like spaceships. Like I don't understand. Like they could still be a factory and still have cruel and punishing conditions. Sure. I think it's just like they picked one and they landed on mining because that felt like it worked. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think we need well, to overthink it too much. It's that, it's that clause of the sentence that's yeah, weird. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right. like it worked. <laughs> you're right, yeah, yeah like yeah. Um, but no, I, I get it. It, it I, we gotta, you gotta hand wave at it, or you're never gonna get over. Okay, it. but yeah, yeah. It, it, okay. it doesn't quite make sense. It is a little weird, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's not so distracting. Like we've known that there's been uh, this sort of refinery on the station before it's been discussed and it's been shown in flashbacks and in the alternate universe. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not so out of the way. That's why I wondered if we've had this conversation before. Yeah. Yeah. It is weird. I mean, it's weird that it's, a space station, yeah, it's in orbit. Why the fuck isn't it on the planet? Why don't you just, yeah, because that's the shortest distance from the ground that you're pulling it. Yeah. It seems like if you really wanted to keep it a mining facility, then it would have could have made like it on a giant meteor. Oh, well, maybe like, that's like me. Hey, oh, all right, I figured it out. The iridium isn't mined on planet; it's asteroids that are pulled to the station. And then they mine it from asteroids and put it straight into the station. Oh, okay. Well, that makes that makes more sense. That does, that make, does sense. make more sense. Yeah. That works. Yeah, that works. Right. I, I don't think the space station would look like it does. It would have more of a dry dock sort of look. But I get it. Right. Yeah. Well, you. we don't know. It's a ring. It's a circular. All right. Oh, this is getting all nerd corner. Let's get. Uh, <laughs> let's do it. Start Planetary. Uh, what's the name of the asteroid mining thing that we haven't gotten yet? That whatever that some billionaire is trying to set up. Anyways, it's a ring in a circle. Mm-hmm. You bring the asteroid underneath it, and then you tether it somehow, and mm-hmm. and then um, I don't know, 
then you then you mind that shit. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I figured out something better than yeah, the planet. I, I don't know. It's the best like, I could do. No, it, it, you're right. You're right. It seems like it would be easier just to say they had it as a factory. It was a factory right. in space, so they couldn't escape. It was, it was a shitty factory, and it was a concentration camp. And then the Federation turns it into like a gas station or like a you know like a yeah truck stop, right. like a, like a truck stop for for truckers. And that's essentially what it becomes. But there's something about like working works, in the mines that is mining, like but mining kind of you know visceral than like you know like coal miners or something right. more than just like we didn't know what to do with them and you know. So I mean, I get. In that respect, I get that, like, oh, you have to work. We're making them work in the mines. Feels like a almost D and D slaver kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. No, I get you. You're right. You're right. It just that usually requires a mountain. Yeah, but- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think I'm on to something with this asteroid mining thing, but I don't think the writers of Deep Space Nine you're, actually you're saving have their asses that here. Much. You're saving their asses here. You're saving Michael Pillar's ass here. Okay, my second complaint, not really complaint, but kind of uh, interesting observation I made during this. One of the most interesting things about this episode is Gold Takat showing up in these pre-recorded oh, yeah. uh, messages. <laughs> that means that what at one point in part of his work week, he had to pencil in <laughs> pre-recorded videos. Like he had to tell his Cardassian secretary, yes. I can't make that meeting. You'll have to tell tell them at Cardassian, I can't make that meeting. I've I've got contingency plan videos i gotta shoot all week <laughs> right. clear my schedule i'm no it's i'm no good for these meetings right i was thinking that too i was thinking of that office where like he it's revealed that he often asked pam to come in so he could film a public service announcement <laughs> right. like many, various publics <laughs> that, he, that he's never aired right but like <laughs> how many choose your own adventure books has goldicott written for this situation <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> like well if they do this i need this video yes. oh well but they also treat, might do this his branching contingency trees of video are, are very... Yeah, very elaborate. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. And he's got stuff... He's got something it, for every... Yeah. yeah, that's... I don't mean... Yeah, that's, a, it's a lot of yeah. shit. Attention, attention, uh, uh, Bajoran workers. I see you've tried to seduce me. Well, <laughs> you can tell that your hot oiled bodies are not going to... Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> like, yeah. Hello, sexy every alien invaders. Every the Bajorans I have to kill now because you're turning me on too much. Too much. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Well, so, uh, Goldicott's contingencies upon contingencies was one of the best things. The only thing Goldicott did not count on was him being, you know, stuck on the... On the oh, yeah, yeah. That's the greatest... Yeah. Re- that's the greatest... Yeah. That's the moment where you go, like... Okay, because there's... Okay, I'll get to a general review of this in a minute, but now that we're nitpicking the general premise of the show, let me nitpick mine. Sure, yeah, hit it. It is incon- inconceivable that the Federation, A, can't wipe a hard drive completely, but more likely, B, remove the co- the evil alien computers and put in nice Federation computers. The idea that they didn't just scrap the entire tech work of that station it's 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 well at that point you're negligent it's it's negligence to the point of like at that point you just build a new station though don't you you gotta take out the hard drives they do the well they wipe them all except for this one thing that was lodged into a mining 
room or processing center that they didn't even expect to use until they tried to reformat it for Okay, after the first time that you accidentally released a virus through the tech work of the show in Babel, maybe the Federation tech tech team, like the Geeks, Federation Geek Squad sort of came in and did a thorough up to them. You know, that that would make a great anthology series, like season, if you just follow like a team of the Federation's Geek Squad going from one ship and station to the next, (laughs) trying to troubleshoot IT problems. But I think I think myself and the writers of Deep Space Nine included have probably gloriously pretended that Babel doesn't exist at all. And that and that's the proper way to go. But, <laughs> that episode um, sucked. But we're having to do every one of these episodes we remember. But you're right. It just seems to be that it's such a it's such a basic call. You have an evil like Nazi race of people. Yeah, it was running a concentration camp. Well, they thought they wiped everything. Probably want to take all that shit. They they thought they did do their due diligence. They're just there's like a Lieutenant Barkley that fucked up. But isn't don't you think the Federation thinks their hardware is better than Cardassian hardware? Yeah, don't just hubris, corporate hubris, take over at some point. Well, they were. They're also. I mean, maybe I'm overthinking this as much, but they're. It's not a Federation station yet. It's still. Bajoran. Yeah, and they, they probably don't have good technology, hardware technology. Yeah, and they're just like fuck it. And Picard's like, no, we want to bring them into the Federation. But the Federation is like, well, here's your Bajoran, here's your station. You're right. That's the that's the answer. It's the, it's a third. There's a third party. There's not just two people, one person in the room calling the shots. Yeah, yeah. It, this was a camel. Like you know, you have to like, like you had to make it by committee. So right, right, right. We got the head. You know, the Federation came out of the negotiations with the right to have the head of the ship be Federation, but they had to give up the technology. You know, like yeah, I get right, it. right. They had to have a Bajoran liaison as second in command and mm-hmm. and security. So that's the. Re- it was a committee. It was decided by committee. Yeah, and that's, yeah. That, that's an answer. Right. Yeah. There. You there go. you go. That's an answer. The other thing okay. this this episode made me think about a lot like okay and i think i mentioned it maybe i mentioned it <laughs> i've done a lot of escape room shit in the last like <laughs> you do do that a lot <laughs> I, yeah well i have a very good friend of mine that has gone escape room crazy and she won't listen to the podcast so i can call her as crazy as i want no she's fine it's a lot of fun <laughs> like, yeah i could talk so much shit about my friend Lynn, uh-huh. and she would not know, but yeah, <laughs> she wants to listen to the podcast. I wouldn't talk bad about it. She's, yeah, whatever. She's fine, but she's crazy for escape rooms, and I've been doing like one a week, it feels like, for the last month and a half, and this feels very much like escape. Did they get better? Do they? What do you mean? Well, I mean, like, it's one of those things that seems like once you've done one... Oh, yeah. Like, are you doing different? There's different ones. Yeah, I mean, how many? I mean, they all have different stories. Is Brooklyn just ate up with escape rooms? Uh, Yes. Yes, it is. So it was Manhattan. Okay. And um, I, I did one in. I mean, we have two here in St. Louis, but, I, you know, I got kids, so right, I don't right. get to do shit like that. I, I have to have two week long plans to go see Rogue One, but nonetheless. <laughs> right. I did one in New Haven, <laughs> Connecticut, like a week ago. They have them. Well, in- but specifically, how does how did, how did you feel, make this feel like this an escape room? Oh, like- well, it's because. It felt so much like an escape room in this, like, okay, they're all predicated on on these kind of storylines. Like, you have to escape this room because there's a self I've done ones on spaceships with a self-destruct sequence, which is basically this. And then there's, like, a pre-recorded message that might be telling you shit, and then... You have to figure out all these puzzles to get to the next room. Like when it starts off with Cisco, Jake, and uh, O'Brien in the bottom or refinery place. And then they have to figure out how to get to the next room. And then they have to figure out a puzzle to 
get a handle, turn a handle into tools and find a special panel on the wall and then blow up the door to get to the next room. And then they have their own shit they're doing on ops where they have to, oh, well, it's all the techno babble turns into puzzles mm-hmm. where, okay, this is the next step. And then, and then at the end of it, it's Cisco is doing a, like a puzzle puzzle where he has to get his isolinear chips in the right thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I, we yeah. Talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Everything felt so like here's one my... clue to the, oh, here's the next clue is like, you have to disable and then Ducat comes on the VR or whatever and says, okay, well, you've done this, but the next thing you have to do is disable the safety protocols for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it felt various, but you know, hey, I'm not going to say that DS9 created escape rooms. Created, created it. <laughs> but this show's ahead of its time, here's, man. Here's the one thing I'll say about escape rooms is that uh, when during the Trump Wars, when our life is one big escape room, <laughs> yep. we'll make fun of you for doing this for fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be laughing all the way back to the safety zones when y'all are still... <laughs> You'll, it'll be training for the Trump Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. But yeah, you 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 should. All right, sorry to sort of bring Donald Trump in and, and bum everybody out and just kill the conversation. <laughs> yeah, sigh. Yeah, no. Okay, so like I, no, I I legit loved this episode. I like I uh, I don't think I've said that. I know that Hugh said that. I thought this was a yeah. No, it was a big winner. It was a big uh, ordeal in the writers' room, though. It was originally credited. I mean, it's eventually credited to some 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 schmuck Mike Crone, who I think has one other writing credit to his name, like. In, really? Like the yeah. disease? It was like he doesn't shit very well. Mike Crone. He doesn't shit very well. <laughs> He's got an autoimmune disorder. Uh, no, uh, he, it's named after him. <laughs> he uh, he wrote he wrote a script and sent it to Deep Space Nine. And Michael Pillar put it on the table in the writers' room. And from everything I've read, legit everyone at some point wrote a full script to the episode. Iris Stephen Bear, Ronald D. Moore, uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf. Renee Shivera, all of them was rejected by Michael Pillar. And I thought Michael Pillar was off the show, but he's still calling the shots on this. And each one was rejected. And it seems like they didn't really know why. And at the end, it was just an ordeal. Everyone hate, hated. The writers liked the episode, but everyone hated the episode, like hated the writing process. And apparently it was like rushed to set. Like the director had 12 hours to prep the first shot, you know, from getting the script. So, like, it was like a mess. So it's kind of like a surprise this episode isn't, like, listless. Like, it's it's got a momentum to it. So, I mean, I think this is a, the director. It feels tightly structured. Like, every, every, there's beats and turns that uh, up the stakes. Yes. And become more interesting. Yeah. It also moves the ball down the field a little bit. It, like, turns another card over so you can see a little bit more Mm -hmm. of Garrick's relationship with the pot. That's great stuff. And the Garrick here. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a marvel. Yeah, I think a lot of it's. I think this is like a, I mean, I think this is a testament to writer's room writer's rooms yeah i mean what, i think like, if you get it really mm-hmm. part of the ease of it is just like if you up the physical stakes you up the character stakes maybe in a sense so even though it is a pain in the ass and people annoying for people it's as easy as just up the physical stakes and then you have to do mm-hmm. the the other stuff kind of falls in place maybe is that how it might work yeah no i mean like it, it really i think there is five you know like the the stereotypical moment where the bomb is counting down to two and you got to cut the mm-hmm. you know this show like has three of those yeah 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 so i mean even in the first 
right after you come back from the intro, you're at a, like, you only have five minutes to live, you know, like, and you have to, like, they're about to, the gas is pouring into the room, and Jake, you know, finally opens the door. Yeah. And so you have, like, yeah, it's it's legit stakes from, like, the get-go. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and they're... And all the character stuff is kind of chunked into the middle. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I was going to say the stakes get, I, I guess neuro scene gas is still a high stake at the beginning, but mm-hmm. O'Brien doesn't seem to be that bothered by it. He was hungry. <laughs> like, they have Jake climb into the, they climb into the chute and then they have Jake's voiceover saying, I'm here, dad, I'm over here. And then Cisco's banging a stick on the wall mm-hmm. and because, and then the Ducat recording said, we're sending a Cardassian team or whatever to security after Cisco's surrendered to the computer. And then Jake is in the shoot or whatever and said, I can't find it. And then O'Brien is like, pull down on the handle, dumbass. And he's like, okay, that does it. Then they start climbing up, but, and then there's gas all around their waist. Like, I don't know. If I saw gas coming out of the thing that's going to kill me, I'd be like freaking out. But Cisco and O'Brien are just standing there with it just floating around them. O'Brien nicely waits for Cisco to go all the way to the top of climbing, and then he climbs up. Not right after him, but after he's standing on the top, it was yeah. funny to me. But they're, mil- I mean, I yeah. guess they're mil- Maybe the cracks. In the- I mean, yeah, there there might be cracks in the show, you know, direction wise. No, I mean, I think in, in stuff like there's that. a way to say that they're military guys, you know, and they're upper level military guys. They're yeah, not- we're evolved humans at this point. We're willing to not fuck it up by rushing into it. Yeah, I thought it was funny, but it didn't ruin the episode. I thought this episode was more or less directed somewhat. It was directed well. There's some a few shots that I really like. Well, I can't tell. I you can't really tell it was really rushed though. That's what surprised. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. You can't like it seems sure-handed or sure. Yeah. you know, like in a way that I mean, other episodes haven't. But I mean, I think that it was because it is a plot, and maybe this is why it was so hard to write. It's a really plotted episode. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like beat by beat, moment by moment sort of things, and there's a lot of logic in the episode. Yeah, yeah. Where instead of like the emotional stakes get you to a point where how do we get out of it? Oh, we put a thing in a thing. No, it was more like about you know there's a whole conversation about well there's still the secondary power couplings in the like in the walls from the original Cardassian. Right, yeah, you know. So that, I mean that's like you almost need a schematic to understand what they're talking about but it's sure-handed it's not techno yeah it's not traditional techno babble where it's say it as fast as you can and hope nobody looks into it. right right yeah like, that's why it felt like yeah. an escaper into me because it's logic based <laughs> like it's weird puzzles mm-hmm. well you know it also it also had a lot of great small character moments one of my favorite parts is whenever Ducat goes into Cisco's office and flicks the baseball yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. off oh, yeah. off the table. And it that basically tells you everything you need to know for where he's planning to go with this scene. He's taking over the whole place. Yeah. Nobody has any say in it. And then one of my favorite parts, maybe top five Kira parts we've seen this far, maybe in the whole series, is where she tells him, I would rather blow this ship up or this station up <laughs> than hand it over to the Cardassians. Yeah. And you know she is 100% real about that. And he knows it too. Yeah. That's what's so great about this episode. I feel like it's... The plot is all just like moved along by these weird logic puzzles, mm-hmm. but the actors and the director find ways to insinuate all this character information in, you know? Like, right. Mm-hmm. Like the tension between Ducat and Garrick and all their little like, yeah, yeah. sniping at each other and they're taking the little digs that they take at each other uncover stuff. Yeah, yeah. Stuff about the relationship and the inner workings of, yeah. of Cardassia. Yeah. There was at least one writer that took a pass on this decided like 
okay, the logic stuff's there. I'm just going to do character shit, and that's what my past is going to be about. Like, with uh, with Ducat especially, his stuff going on. Like, once he gets there, and then Garrick even calls him out later, it's like, stop trying to hit on Kira. Yeah. You, a married man. Yeah. And back the fuck I feel up. Like that, I feel like we should take some time with that scene, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, go for it. Yeah, let's... Well, let me... Let me, like, let me, let me like, because I think that, that that's a tangent. Yeah, that's Let me talk to, like, like, what we were talking about here. One of the things that we were talking about, the ba- the baseball, kept flicking the baseball. One of the whole things about sort of the character reveal that I, I just enjoyed the most to bloom in this episode was for the last few times we've seen Ducat, Ducat has been put in a position of kind of being a good guy mm-hmm. or at least sort of an aide or, a, you know, someone who's, who, who you can aid in, in help. And I think this is the kind of thing where I like to see where you realize that he's been nice because you've always been sort of aware that he's been being nice in the previous episodes because it was politically expedient for him to be nice. And in this episode where he feels like he has a huge upper hand in the sequence, how he takes advantage of it is it's stakes raising for the episode. It's really like, what the fuck? I mean, like, like people are about to die here. But it also is like really revealing as a Ducat moment yeah. where you do realize that the more pleasant Ducat that you've seen from Maki and some of the other in Cardassians, that that sort of stuff is that it is a political face. And that he's still, you know, not got your best, in- not got the show's best interest at heart. Right, right. And so that's fun to watch that reveal. And then how sort of giddy it is when that's, when there's the reverse where he tries to get off the ship, but that triggers <laughs> yeah. like a traitor alert. That is, uh, that reveal, like the first time I watched it, I like legitimately like had like a, like a, like a giggle. Yeah. Uh, like an out loud giggle because it is a funny turn of stakes. It's deeply satisfying. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's very satisfying. Yeah. But even mm-hmm. before, you, before he even arrives and you get that part of his character explored, you still get like all this great st- like if you really look at all of the pre-recorded messages mm-hmm. and everything he says he's like huh. and you can see Dakota is a character that is just uh powered by his own ego in so many ways he can't he thinks he's mm-hmm. the he thinks he's the hottest shit in the world he's the coolest guy ever and anything that happens is not his fault fault he's always like because even when the shit starts going off he's like bajoran workers i'm sorry but you're making me do this i have to call this you know i have to call the security if you're doing this you're gonna make me release this neurocene gas but i promise you you will not be harmed if you just if you just turn yourself over Everything will be okay. okay. You have my word. Yeah, and then, the, the, his recording should come with a trigger warning. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he sounds like an abusive ex. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm a, sorry the, that you're making me do ex- this. Like, yeah, like yeah. oh, and then after he's like, I'm sorry that you have to all die, but rest assured, your deaths will be a good example that this won't happen again. So you know, at least it'll be worth something. And and even that, he sells it as, I'm sorry that I have to kill you all, but hey, take solace in the fact that you're doing something good with your deaths, which is a very Cardassian point of view and kind of worldview to explore. But it's also, I don't know, everything, this episode exploring the character of Dukat is so great. And when we get to his uh, attraction to Kira... Yeah, no, I guess we can talk about it now. Because I, mean, I, yeah. I just wanted to talk about the, the, the whole Dukat sequence is, is a pleasing thing. Okay, so like this is the first time... It's not the last time that that you realize that Ducat has like some sort of hard attraction to Kira. Yeah, yeah. She's much too busy trying to save this station to be impressed with your incessant posturing. Garrick! And I don't know, is it, how weird is it that it's treated as sort of like a, a goof in this episode? Yeah, I mean, it's a little weird. 
especially what you know later about him. Yeah, but, uh, he's got a particular preference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I watched it a couple times, like the first time, and then when Garrett calls him out on it, it's like, oh shit. Garrick. But then if you watch it before then, knowing that's coming up, like... Even when he's when he goes to Cisco's office and flicks the baseball off, you can tell that he's already preening and starting to peacock a little bit. Like he thinks he's, mm-hmm. which is like in some ways the most unsettling thing. Like he's like a real sexual predator, you know. Like he thinks mm. that he's impressing mm. her, even when he goes up to her and she's standing very close to her. And it's like you would let everybody die, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I guess I just go back to like I mean, this is still sort of a like a night porter kind of situation where like there is a sexual power dynamic at play here where Kira associates Cardassians with, you know, like an occupying murderous force. Right, right. I assume that if Dukat, if Dukat had met Kira years before, I know they met briefly, you know, we see in a previous, before the end of the war, but like, he, I'm sure he's raped and murdered plenty of, of oh, Bajoran yeah. women. Yeah. And that, it's a weird position to put Kira in, in that moment. And it's later treated with sensitivity, you know, in the show. But this seemed like it was kind of like, you just, I don't know. I, I immediately was like, what the fuck? That's not like, I'm sure she's not cool with that. Like, I'm sure she's not cool with being <laughs> no. objectified by someone in such a, such an awful fucking power. No. I know we find, you know, it's even worse once you know more. Right, right. About but, the, the, the history of yeah, her, yeah, him yeah, and yeah. the, the killer. Sorry. Uh, that wasn't a glint in the writer's eye at that moment. But, yeah. you know, like. Oh, well, I mean, when Garrett calls him out like well even when he when he tries to teleport and you know this is this is all mark alemo being the fucking boss like he's 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 great mm-hmm. it's uh, he read his script and he said okay how am i gonna play this and then he started really like when he tries to teleport and he can't and he's like mm-hmm. he's embarrassed his eyes he looks straight at kira and he's that's where you see like the egg on his face it's like yeah. he's like i was trying mm-hmm. to i was trying to impress mm-hmm. this girl yep. and now i look like a dumbass i feel <laughs> You see, like, a bully who's trying to impress a girl, like, totally be like, yeah. oh, oh, shit. And, and like, even his, he's going around and the look he has on his face, it's, like, just, it's just amazing acting for Mark Alamo and then, or Limo, or however you say his name. And then later, before, he's just, like, talking, and he's like, well, you know, any great Cardassian, blah, 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 and his eyes kind of glance over. And this director probably gets credit, too, because the way that he framed it and everything, but... You can see his eyes shoot to every now and he has his eyes glance over to where Kira is standing and you see that he's got like a little bit like if you know what to look for, you can see him posturing for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think he's great. I think he plays it perfect. I, I I feel like if you could give notes, you would tell the writers and the director to go back over that. You know, think about that a little bit more. <laughs> I'm not saying cut this the reference, but like think of, maybe talk to some of the cast about what this, you know, talk, talk to Nana Visitor about what she would like to do in that scene. And I think, you know, I think that you do gotten a different response of a way to approach that instead of a ha ha she thinks she likes him you know yeah but that's all i was going to say that i thought it was a little it was a little weird it was weird but i i liked it i mean i mean not not in a creepy way like i mean and no 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 and kira is she's rightfully disgusted when when garrett calls him out and says stop trying to show off how fancy stop preening for kira it's really gross and nobody really catches it because it's not totally obvious until he says it but I don't, like everybody I don't like, think that she, I don't think that she had a moment to express her power in that situation oh yeah and I and I think that like if you're gonna put a cap on it what you would want a writer dealing with that today would want her to reaffirm her power and I don't think that they meant for it to seem like she was 
amused or flattered by his affection. I don't think that came but, off at all. No, no, I know, but it, you leave the room for it. You leave room for it because you don't give her a beat. You know, either a line or like a movement. You don't give her a beat. Yeah. You just give his awkwardness. And you're just left with his sort of sheepish awkwardness. Yeah. And not with like a, st- a statement of her of her stating power. Well, I think you get, you get a moment of, re- you get a reaction from her when Garrett calls her out, like maybe you might be right. She doesn't get enough, mm-hmm. but like, when, she doesn't say anything, but her, I mean, Nana visitor herself and her just physical reaction and repulsion says a lot. Yeah. Or it said a lot to me anyway. I but, think so. I couldn't tell to be honest with you, but for me but personally, yeah, it is kind of played. It is played for laughs. So you are, it's right. played for laughs. And I couldn't tell if it was revulsion or uncomfortability. I saw revulsion. And those are two different things in that situation. Yeah. But that's 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 fair. But maybe I just assume may, I mean, well, that's acting, you know. Who, yeah. Maybe yeah. I just saw revulsion because that's what the actor yeah. portrayed to me, but who, exactly. who can say? I mean, yeah. But yeah, it was played for last so that I mean, maybe that is a key. You're right. The Odo uh yeah. pork stuff was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. We got we had a little little moments of levity there. Uh it was fine. It wasn't like the best Odo quirk stuff we've ever had, but it was good. I liked yeah, it a it lot. Was a yeah. Court goes into was good. once they split the counterinsurgency program level one, Court goes in to Odo's office and then gets stuck there. I wish there was more consequence to their storyline. I wish there was a beat in the script and it was like, oh, if we only had someone stuck in the security offices who could do blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then they can, they had to perform a test too. Yeah, they like, were all but, comic I mean, relief. Like at first it's like, oh, Odo is going to be a help here because he still has access to the Cardassian security systems, but only levels one through six. And then Court comes in and is like, oh, can I help? Because my customers aren't buying anything. And he's like, well, uh, not unless you have security codes to level nine. And then Quark is like, well, I only have the level seven security clearance. And it's like, well, they're there for comic relief. And I think it's pretty good comic relief. Like when they think. Yeah, no, no. It's yeah, no, it works. We have Quark, his whole talk about like, uh, oh, my father never wanted me to leave home. And but nope, I had to leave because we get a rule of acquisition <laughs> number 75. Home is where the heart is. But the stars are full of latinum. And then they think they're stuck there and they're going to die together or whatever. Odo's trying to be nice. Quark is like, uh, my dad said I should never leave home. He said there's a lot of Ferengi businesses locally on Ferenginar that could use things. And all I have to show for it is this one measly bar. My Uncle Finn has three bars. And my cousin Gala has a moon. It's a small moon, but it's a nice place to live. And then Odo tells them, like, you know what? I've met a lot of Ferengis. Some are more wealthy than you are. Yeah, I've met a lot of Ferengis. Some are more wealthy than you are. But I will tell you, I've never met one more devious than you. And then Quark is like, oh, that means a lot. And then he's like, oh, you're welcome. And then he just wants his phaser back. Ha ha ha. Well, that's the thing is that later on, it's played for laughs. Like you just said it because he wanted something from I can't even remember what the item was that he wanted. But in a way, I think he's kind of telling the truth, too. Yeah, that he's. I don't want to nitpick that that, he, that too much. Uh, his level of I don't want to nitpick his level of sincerity, <laughs> but I I think that Odo really does view Quark as the, probably the most devious Ferengi he knows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you leave the room open for like I thought it was fun that he, he says the thing that Rom is more devious than him. Yeah, yeah. Which I think and, you know gives some sort of birth to a more creative. Right. Rom that we yeah, see yeah. Later. At the end, the closing 
part of the episode is like Quark has infiltrated Odo's systems, even even after Odo says, get your hands off my computer. But at the end of it, he looks up and he finds his own file and Odo has left a thing like where uh, he says that Quark is a self-important con artist who's nowhere near as clever as he thinks he is. And Quark is like, you said I was the most blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, I thought we were going to die. I was trying to be nice. And it's like, but at the same time, you're right, Hugh. He probably does believe what he said, but he, could even, he couldn't even write it down in the logs without. No, no, he's not going to keep it around for somebody else to see it. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he might not even have realized it until that moment that he said it. Right, right. That's how it felt to me in the moment, yeah. but. Who is Damon Ty though? I don't know. Who's oh the That's a it's a oh, yeah. it's a Ferengi that it must be a famous Ferengi that is more or did we, devious. Maybe than it's Quark. a character maybe it's a character we've seen. Maybe it was the guy who tried to swindle the original um well, the Grand Nagus. When Qu- Quirk asked Odo at the end, like, come on, who do you know that's more devious than me? And he says, The Grand Nagus. It's like, Well, sure, fine. Mm-hmm. But tell me tell who else? And he says, Damon Ty. And then he says Tell me one that you've actually met. Oh. And then he says... Is there like some sort of like... Yeah. The Thomas... Is he the Thomas Jefferson of like Ferengis yeah. or something? That's the least, that's the least Ferengi sounding Ferengi name that I've heard, I think. Yeah. Damon Ty. You know, and then he's like, oh, you're yeah. brother Ron. Yeah, and then the guy who owns the moon. Yeah. Who we do meet in a few uh, a few seasons later. Oh, yeah. With, is uh, that when Iggy Pop shows up? Is oh maybe oh Iggy Pop mm, oh I totally forgot I've said too much yeah, I, I totally forgot Iggy Pop's on this show buddy yeah, yeah that's, a, uh, that's a taste for later folks yeah mm-hmm. yeah I mean ultimately they kind of save their best uh, I, I like Iggy Pop they save their best casting for yeah for for uh what are they called Wayunes last not okay. vagina ears um uh, uh, no the Vorta you're talking Vorta, Vorta. yeah change yeah 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 Spoilers. i think we know who the Vorta are yeah, we know who the Vorta are but we didn't know that he was one. oh yeah yeah Anybody? yeah yeah look it up dumb that's a pretty that's sensitive nerd. spoiler yeah trigger that's on me sorry <laughs> anyway uh i feel like i had something to say and then i got iggy popped out it, 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 iggy popped well, out of my head we're kind of moving through um, like the the various B, yeah. A, B, and C storylines here. And we cut, we covered everybody pretty much. I mean, the Cisco, O'Brien, Jake stuff is pretty thin and actually pretty standard fare type TV mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I mean, they don't really have any character stuff. It's just oh, moving the ball he's down. He's got to trust. I mean, there's a lot of like Jake becoming a man stuff. Yeah. There's, yeah. There I is get, at the I beginning. But, I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, sca- it's, if you're gonna put a, yeah, a teenager in danger, it's gonna it's, be. It's gonna play yeah, out like that. It's not not cliche. <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> right. That's, that's what I'm saying. Is, well, yeah. well, they don't really move the ball down the field at all. I mean, I'm sure after this episode, it just reaffirms to Jake that he wants his ass safe. You know, as a writer, <laughs> yeah, right. Probably, probably doesn't want. Well, probably, there's, there's but there's this there's, the call to bravery. Yeah, there's a little call to bravery there, and where um he's the one that can save him because he's not fat like his dad and O'Brien. Mm-hmm. He can fit in the thing, whatever. And then it's all just puzzles. And then at the end, though, there is the call to bravery where they have to crawl through the mm-hmm. Jeffrey's tube or what, or the conduit, and it's all fire and everything. Mm-hmm. And then O'Brien gets to do some stunt work because he gets like, yeah, he gets like he has to do like a little flip, like a little axis flip. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering if it was that Colmini or I don't, I don't know, but he, he it looked like Colmini, but he does it like, did and it, like he uh, did his own, and it looked good. It was timed with that spark and everything. Mm-hmm. I was thinking when I saw it, I was like, I bet it just scared the shit out of Colmini, and that was where he got that reaction. Because <laughs> he jumps real yeah, fast um, with it, like, because it looks legit, you know. Yeah. And then um, Jake drags him out. What I was thinking of in the moment where Jake has to crawl through the Jeffrey's tube to get 
O'Brien. I was thinking, like, well, the whole time, there's this, like, automated, like, you've got tw- five seconds to whatever, and you place another ticking clock, and the whole space station's gonna explode. And I was just thinking at that moment, that is pretty brave of what Jake did, because if I was there, and in that same circumstances, I would think... I think I'm just going to wait to make sure everything blows up before I go save O'Brien. Yeah. He can wait five seconds because I'm not going to save him if the whole shit blows up. Yeah. And I don't want to go through all that work. Well, it's not very <laughs> utilitarian thinking. I know. Like, if I don't save him, we all die. Well, and then before that, there's a little bit of maybe arguably character growth where after they shut down all the security fields in ops by Kira, by shutting down the life support systems mm-hmm. because they have the secondary emitters that are still there. Sorry, it's a bunch of puzzle shit. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Anyways, but Kira has to shoot the wall where they have all the Bajoran scrubs jump out of the way because there's apparently ops is full of Bajorans that we never see, but we saw a few of them. Yeah, a fucker dies. A fucker dies, man. And like at the end of it, they're like, whoo, everything's everything's okay. I was like, nah, like you gonna have a, Who died? Like, a guy got killed by the like clever gold to cut replicator turret. Oh, I didn't like, even a, notice that. Yeah. A, a legit red shirt oh, got like oh. killed. Got vaporized. That time, and the, and the whole time I was like, "Why do they never talk about their casualties?" This may be like the first Federation casualty on this ship, and like no one's talked about it. You want to know why? Because it's Star Trek. Red, <laughs> red shirt. Yeah, like, you know. he's a nobody. He's not even Federation man. Fuck him. No, he was Federation. He was a Federation red shirt. Oh, really? Because most of the he was in the most yeah. of the people in the ops that aren't senior staff look to be Bajoran to me. But maybe. Yeah, no, this guy was this guy was in he was in the season two of Next Generation Jumper. Oh, okay. So uh yeah, no, he was Federation. It may have even been a used oh, yeah, effect. Yeah, this yeah. was an effect. It was a special effect because he vaporized. Oh, they yeah. may have even reused the effect from <laughs> right. from a next generation episode. Oh, yeah. But yeah, oh, no, a guy died. I'm sorry. A guy died, I should be more respectful. <laughs> no, I'm not saying we should be respectful. No. I'm saying they should be more respectful. Yeah. But after she blows up the thing and they shut down the thing, shut down the uh security fields or whatever the force fields cisco insists he yells it or he doesn't yell he says jake you have to go to runabout pad c and jake's like no dad i'm not going and then you know it's a little bit of growth where he just trusts his son and says okay fine you can come with mm-hmm. us instead of right. no you're my son i have to make sure you you know like okay fine. yeah we're all about to die i have a little bit of agency on your way out yeah sure sure yeah but on the other hand, you got to read that the other way, where Jake actually said, I'm not going to make it. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so it's sounded like, I'm not going to make it, so I'm just going to stand here and look at Instagram while you guys fiddle with it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> like the, why bother, Dad? I'm not going to make it anyway. We're fucked. Yeah. Like, so at the um, end, after, after Jake does pull, because Federation, the Starfleet uniforms have very convenient rip-away sleeves, that, <laughs> that purple undershirt just comes right off. <laughs> For your hands to crawl through okay, uh, so, hot conduits. Okay, so I felt that whatever the fuck Cisco was doing at the end to solve the the ticking time bomb was the most goofy shit I'd ever seen. Oh, oh, it was. He's, yeah, it was. It was some goofy escape the room bullshit. That's exactly what it was. He is pulling out honey sticks. Looking at the edge of the honey stick and then sticking the honey stick back in. That was all he was doing. Got to get the like, code right. There was, that's, that's, that, that's classic escape the room. He always put it back in the same hole he pulled it out of. <laughs> but he looked at Except it Except at one point where it looked like he had three little honey sticks in his hand. Except <laughs> it's all about rods, <laughs> man, because Gold Ducat's doing the same thing in ops when he, they're trying to yeah. rewire the emitter or whatever. There's a lot of hot rod action on this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these rods are hot. <laughs> Kiro's doing the – oh, they were totally hot because Dax burned her hands up trying to do it herself and she flipped this code and she got second degree burns 
not third degree because she could feel mm-hmm. it. Oh, speaking of t- Dax in this episode, I feel like she was given a line that should have went to Kira. That's the only thing I noticed about her in this episode. Is that when they're trying to figure out why Ops is so different to try and get out of than another thing, and then someone says, well, because this protection was created to protect Ops, not to encase Ops. Because they were trying to protect the Cardassians at Ops from the Borjorans storming the, you know, the rooms. Storming the, mm-hmm. And it seemed like that was an insight into Cardassian thinking that was delivered by Dax that was delivered to Kira. It looks like if that was the other way around, yeah. Kira would have looked. Build her up. Like, she's got to have a base of skill sets. And if, if it seems like knowing how Cardassian ships operates is probably. Yeah, that would be her wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. Like, give her a base of knowledge. But they tried to give that to Dax because Dax has been given no base of knowledge. Yeah, they're they're under they're portray- both undercooked. <laughs> yeah. It's like you yeah. choose one to have to. They're just like, oh, shit, we haven't <laughs> given Terry Farrell enough to say in this episode. Fine. Exactly. Man, right, exactly. We, we don't even so they, have. I mean, Terry Farrell's hands are so burnt up that she has to have somebody else do some computer button pushing later on. I mean, here we are. We got Julian again. Can't even heal in like 400 years in the future. Can't even heal a, a sunburn with like the minimum equipment that he's got, you know, in ops. Hey, he doesn't have so access I, you know, to it. So, I, you know, sure. I'm, okay, you're right. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not we're that on the, Yeah, we're on the verge of curing skin burns with stem cell sprays. Like, yeah. now. Well, they, it seems like, yeah. Like, they don't have a kit. And, uh, I don't know. Pretty sure stem cell are going to be qualified as people. I don't think we'll be able to do <laughs> yeah. But there's no neural damage because it's not nerve damage. Yeah. Well, that's nerd corner, I guess. Neural damage would have to do with the brain. Oh, yeah. It would be yeah, nerve we're damage. We're deep in the weeds. Yeah, we're yeah. Whatever. I, didn't, I didn't mean to do it because, I mean, Julian barely had anything to do with this episode. I don't want to. He was just here to do, be here. Right. I don't want to do it. Right. He was just right. in this episode to be in this episode. Right. Oh, but oh, the other thing we didn't talk about was, did we talk about Garrick's history, which got revealed? And also well, we just Well, we just Father. noted that they under they turned some cards over with their history. I, yeah, we kind of alluded to that, but yeah, we can get deeper into it if you want. Well, I mean, just the fact that apparently, and I feel like it's a backstory on Garrick that they hint at here that I don't know if they ever fully explore his relationship to yeah, I don't, Ducat, I don't, but yeah, that I don't know either. Him and Ducat's father have a thing. Like we all know that. Garrick and Ducat hate each other, mm-hmm. but we don't know exactly why, except we get some hints here. Yeah, you were always short-sighted like your father, and then apparently my father's only flaw was trusting you, is what Ducat says, and then Garrick says, well, at his trial, it seemed he said that his ambition outweighed his patriotism, which is after a tribunal, you know, yeah, we've, we've seen Cardassian trials, which is all about propping up the state, where he had a Nestor just say this yeah yeah but their history yeah and you know i feel like ideally we'd get even further more garrick backstory about maybe his expulsion has something linked to ducat but i don't know that seems like the perfect i don't remember that either like later on but i mean we may be wrong i may be forgetting an episode or something but that sounds like it's fodder for a book yeah yeah yeah. like there was a book about ducat senior and garrick yeah maybe i'm I'm almost positive somebody wrote five books on the whole ducat history (laughs) (laughs) the ducat family lineage yeah i i I promise you yeah Mm -hmm. in fact Talk about licensing. Wade, I'm surprised that nobody has bought the licensing for Star Trek Escape the Rooms. Like, I'm surprised you can't go to somewhere <laughs> in Brooklyn oh, yeah. and go to a Star Trek themed Escape the Room. It seems like a great idea, actually. I think they just don't know where to buy the rights from, whether to buy them from Paramount or CBS. Or yeah. I'm sure that if you could, because people buy rights to stuff, you know, to kickstart stuff all the time. Actually, well, no, I know what it is. 
all these escape the room places are too cheap. Uh, they don't have to come. Can, oh, I see. Well, they don't want they. Well, they want to Star Trek have, with an A. <laughs> Star Trek. Well, I saw one that Star start, Trek. Yeah. <laughs> I saw one that started. Well, maybe I shouldn't talk shit. But they were they had a Kickstarter for a Harry Potter themed one. Oh. I have a Kickstarter problem, and this was a badly sourced Kickstarter because by the time this airs, I figured their Kickstarter will have failed. Because did you give them money? No, I didn't give them money because they were set up so badly. Ah. And also, you can't just start saying we're going to do a Harry Potter room and not expect to get uh, blowback, yeah. cease and desist. <laughs> if you make forty thousand dollars off a of Kickstarter on your Harry Potter themed escape room, you're going to get a cease and desist from Warner Brothers if you haven't checked. Of course, it out. yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I tell you, it's still current as of this recording, so maybe we'll have to cut this. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll look into it before before this airs. But come on, yeah, no, I think Star Trek Escape the Rooms are probably. The best. I mean, they probably could get a Babylon Five escape escape the room. <laughs> yeah, I think the Babylon Five it. people would probably pay you to make an escape the room. <laughs> yeah, right. it's J. Michael Straczynski still owns it, right? Probably. I think he owns the show outright. So the writer of everybody's favorite Spider-Man story owns Babylon Five. Anyway, well, uh, <laughs> sorry. What do you guys do? You guys want to <laughs> get into get any final thoughts on this episode, and then we can get into the, the overall rating. Uh, so I want to point out that Ducat drinks red leaf tea yeah. from the replicator. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Red leaf tea, please. He gets that as local Whole Foods. Like, <laughs> he gets that along with his colloidal silver and his uh, ginkgo biloba pills. Like. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah, I got nothing. All right. Well, the ending well, was silly. I mean, it, it wasn't silly, but what watching Cisco play with rods is silly. Um, no, I thought this was a good episode. I liked it. Yeah. What's the, we going to do the rating? Yeah. All right, guys. Let's see uh, if you guys can guess. Did anybody take a peek? Nope. Be honest. No, I haven't. I'm completely uh, honest. I did not look. Uh, oh, shit. Uh, 8 point, uh, no, 7.9. 7.7. 7.7. I'm going to go, I'm going to try to get uh, 7.5. We had 654 votes, which is really high, and it ended up being a 7.9. So oh, Wade actually had it and then changed his mind. <laughs> he went lower and then I went lower Damn, still. Yeah. It's so close. Really? It's that. I, mean, it's, I almost yeah, won. Yeah, it's nothing. a pure almost episode. It's a pure episode. It's, it's a, it's I a fun think one. That, I, good. Yeah. I think the thing, the, the whole series takes place on a station. Mm-hmm. So by default, the station is sort of a character or can be a character. And I think this is a great episode to showcase that. It's got good beats good character stuff mm-hmm. they move the ball down the road with their overall story arc of the whole series a little bit with some of the Cardassian backstories yeah I uh, I think it's a, it's a solid episode it's it's good to be here and not in the early days of season one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I think I need to readjust my paradigm because I'm like, I was like, okay, let me go lower because most of the other ones have been lower, but we're in season three now. Things are... This is, we're, we're getting to where people like the show. Yeah. So... I think you're trying to place it in a broader narrative of show watching. Yeah. I mean, like, if this was by Sunday Deep Space Nine, you know, this would this would have been great. Yeah, yeah. Well, even if you're coming yeah. home from school and you're just flopping on the couch and you've seen, like, a handful of Deep Space Nines, you can watch this and still stay vested in it by commercial break. Commercial yeah. break. Yeah. I, I and so yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's it's a good Star Trek episode because you know your be... brain isn't gonna hurt because you're not gonna figure out how do these space popes work and why can they fuck a girl? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Wait a minute. Who is this guy? Why do I ca- like what? Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Wait, wait. I miss a, the first seven parts of this continuing. Oh, yeah. Later on. <laughs> ten part. Yeah. Which is what we love about yeah. the show. I shouldn't um, talk shit so much about that. Oh, yeah. Well, if that's it, then we will. Uh, wait, no, no, no. I got next week. Wait, next see week. See you next week whenever we talk about episode eight of season three, which is what, James? Awful. Uh, tune in anyway for the episode called Meridian. It's a Dax Falls in Love episode. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, I think that I, I love this. No, I don't remember this. <laughs> it was directed by, it does have a really great actor named Brett Cullen. He's a fucking amazing actor and he's in this and he's not very good in it. <laughs> and then, uh, it's directed by Riker. So it should be fun. Oh, and then two more we get Riker in it, don't we? Yes. We get Riker's, uh, yes. Two more. We get the Thomas Riker. So we episode. get a Jonathan Frakes directed. Yeah. We get the director of First Contact, and then we get the director of First Contact. The, and then the writer of First Contact writing for the star of First Contact. All right. Yeah, no, that's where we are. Okay. Well, this was civil defense, but don't leave yet. We have a question for you. There is no dilemma that cannot be solved by a disciplined Cardassian mind. It's not going to work, you know. What are you babbling on about now? All right, and here we are back into our... Airing of grievances transmissions from the satellite heart. We don't um, get enough grievances. Uh, we need more grievances. Grieve us, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what we can do about that. Do I have uh, to call him Richard Picardo again? I will. <laughs> right. I, if, well, I bet, yeah, we could probably get Maybe it. Maybe we should name this segment after Richard Picardo. Richard <laughs> the Richard Picardo uh, response. Yes. yes. Memorial. Richard or, or, Picardo Memorial uh, Bowling Green. Or, yeah, or, or just transmissions <laughs> from Richard Ricardo. That's what yes. we should just call it. <laughs> That's what we're doing. That, that <laughs> right. Until we'll you give us a better title, folks. Oh, uh, we're definitely naming this segment after Richard Picardo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll just start off with an old favorite regular. Let's see. We'll start with a Twiggy voicemail. Okay. Uh, this is his second skin chops and also some Voyager. All right. Greetings and welcome to what could quite possibly be the last open communication from me to you before our countries go to war. I think we might have to develop some sort of enigma code to pass on to freedom fighters so that I can get feedback in in the future. I agree with Hugh, I think it was, in that I liked this episode and I remember it, but it didn't really stick in my mind. Uh, as soon as someone gave, gives the description, I'm like, oh yeah, I know that episode, it's a good episode, but yeah, it just doesn't really sit there on its own for me. Uh, I think a Blade Runner ending would have been really cool and it would have really opened up some good options for Kira down the line. As it stands, I think we still get a lot of good character growth with this one. Uh, it really changes going forward her views on Cardassians. I think it does open her up to be, well, not sympathetic, but less openly hostile at any rate. It would be nice if we could change the race of a, a certain world leader, make somebody walk a mile in another race's shoes. Maybe that would help. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure that uh, applying some spoon shadow is popular with the Cardassians. Uh, it kind of makes me feel like uh, coloring your belly button, though. I don't know, it's just me. I was a little confused about why the Obsidian Order would need such mundane information on Deep Space Nine. I understand it was part of a greater plot to get the old man Cardassian in, but the way that these guys are portrayed, I feel like they would know which of Kira's boobs is bigger and by how much. Uh, as a general thing as well, I also agree with James in that I find a lot of the Cardassians 
scenes on this show to be very attractive and I really don't know why. And finally, I have generally good things to say about Voyager. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that it followed Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, which are both very good shows, and this is only a good show, maybe. Uh, it's similar, though, to the other series. I think the first season or two, a uh, bit wishy-washy. Uh, it does generally get a lot better through the back half of it, especially when one of the original cast members leaves and they bring in Seven of Nine. I think when she comes in, a lot of the character dynamics seem to improve a lot and there's a lot more character growth. Yeah, my official verdict is to check it out because there are much worse things that you can spend your time watching TV with. That's it for me. Have yourselves a day, boys. All right. Well, there was a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. There is. And Twiggy's becoming our very own Billy Preston, uh, <laughs> which I, I, I'm becoming to appreciate. Um, I'm going to pick up on the Voyager point because I think out of all three of us, I'm the only one who's done a rewatch of the thing most recently. Or a primary watch. I've, I've only watched <laughs> the first season ever. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, it gets a lot better than the first season, but okay. Well, more to the point, it is a show that is sort of like listless and sort of aimless. Mm -hmm. And then when seven or nine comes in, it it gets a clear focus and it's like a sharper storytelling engine. And I actually think that if you you watch the pilot and then you skip like three and a half seasons (laughs) and then you watch the seven and a half, uh, seven of nine episode Mm -hmm. there on, you could actually enjoy Voyager at its best. Yeah, like all that Kazon stuff and everything. Like, well, I mean, they, 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 no, it's just, they're just messed up with Janeway as a character. They give her very... Yeah, they didn't try, go see like, her in a one-woman show and figure out we know Janeway now like they did with Cisco. Oh, yeah, they, they mess, I mean, they gave her like a babysitting. She was like a literal Victorian babysitter in her holodeck fantasies. You know, like how... <laughs> yeah, you know I, how right, I forgot about Picard that. Picard solved mysteries and was a tough noir detective. Janeway, when she wants to unwind, is a nanny in the 19th century. <laughs> right, so, that was pretty uh, bad. They, a governess? Yes, they, they, she's a governess. And they realize that that is sort of sexist and lame for this badass <laughs> lady who's been doing nothing but babysitting the whole ship. And, you know, when she goes on and wine has to, so then she becomes a protege of Leonardo da Vinci oh, right. in the holodeck. And that is slightly more interesting. It's better. It's better. It's better. It's a better direction. But they're just, it's better for the character. Yes. But they're just, they're still those, I mean, holodeck episodes. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm just saying like, that's one example of, there's a lot, a lot of, bad character work in Star Trek Voyager. Once they get 709 on board, it's a better storytelling engine. Yeah. Um, but Richard Picardo is great throughout. <laughs> I think I can announce that I, I'm, I'm done with my Lost rewatch mm-hmm. or watch period. Mm-hmm. And we've done a whole podcast on that. I'm currently in the middle of my yearly uh, watch every episode of The Office. And then I'll be out of that soon. And then I'm probably going to start Voyager from season two. Because I feel like I've gotten season one down. I don't need to do that again. I got it. You know and about the collector and all. Yeah, yeah. And no, I, I, I get it. So I'm going to start with wherever uh, last time I left off. So if I like season two, and then I'll, I will, I'm going to watch it through. So uh, I'm sure my opinions I, on the show will start being peppered. If you're that. a listener of our podcast and you've never seen Star Trek Voyager, I'm very, very curious to see how you would do if you do the Hugh Crawford method of, of Voyager, which is you watch the pilot. 
and then you watch <laughs> the seven or nine forward and you skip yeah. everything in between. I wondered how well that would play out for you. I think I know that a lot of people recommend that for Deep Space Nine is watch the pilot and then skip all the way to the Dominion. Yeah, intro. but then you see, but yeah, I disagree with those people. What what you would be the jumping on point? Because the Dominion starts pretty early. Well, the end of season two. Right. Well, you have to watch Duet. You have and to then I'd say or you have you, to because it's. It's important. Yeah, because it's great. Well, it's, well, I mean, it's great. It's I, I get. I'm with you. We run a podcast on the show. I, like I'm just saying, like, <laughs> like I'm not saying skip it. I'm just saying that I've read that a lot. Yeah, that yeah. It, well, it, there's it, the jump to the bald Cisco with a goatee too, yes, and that you're yeah. missing out. Jump to goatee. That's a theory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's just because leftover Riker theories. Oh. <laughs> they people like to see patterns and consistency. That's why conspiracy theories exist. Yeah, the, the human brain is there to see patterns. So, <laughs> right. Or a machine that has evolved to see patterns. All right. What else are some of his other points? Yeah, Cardassians are hot. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I really don't know why. It's not like that's not my thing. I just. Whenever they do it, they always like. There's something about the nose and the. Everybody looks vaguely like Kristen Bell when they get all of like the little sharp turns <laughs> on, the, on their nose and on their chin when they're Cardassians. So, I don't know. It's a thing. Okay, let's see. I've got a voicemail from a new listener here. Exciting. Yeah. All right. This is from Derek in Philadelphia, but I think you'll learn that soon enough. Let's see here. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. Uh, my name is Derek. I'm a listener from the Philadelphia area. I just discovered your podcast uh, in the last few weeks and have been kind of plowing through it. Uh, it's been a delightful listen to get me through my commute. Anyway, I was just kind of curious because, you know, finding your podcast has been causing me to rewatch DS9 for, I don't even want to say, probably the third or fourth time. Uh, and I'm noticing something this time around that I never noticed before, and I'm kind of curious for your thoughts on it which is that it kind of seems to me like the Federation crew on Deep Space Nine doesn't really have much in the way of job responsibilities most of the time. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I specifically noticed this in that whatever season two episode where Quark invites Kira's Bortoy onto the station to distract her, and she realizes it and says, hey, Bashir, can you keep an eye on Quark? And Bashir, for some reason, isn't like, no, I have a job. I'm a doctor. But he's just like, sure, I got nothing to do all day. <laughs> and, and that just kind of got me thinking. And I, I would notice in episode after episode that shit would come up and they would just be like, sure, hijinks. I don't have anything better to do. And I don't know. I don't know if this is something that I'm noticing. Uh, maybe it's something that you've commented on in the past. I haven't listened to every episode, so it's possible that maybe James has gone on some kind of tirade about how much more of a work ethic they had in the Bajoran Viet Cong. But yeah, I'm just wondering if that's something that you noticed that uh, it seems like Odo and Kira, they're always busy. They always got shit to do. But the Federation, they'll just drop whatever they're supposed to have going on at the drop of the hat to do some hijinks. Uh, I noticed that especially with Bashir, which maybe informs why you don't get the vibe that he's such a great doctor, because it never seems like he has any doctoring to do. Uh <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sound off. What do you guys think about it? And uh, thanks for doing such a great podcast. It's really kind of brightened my life, and I really appreciate it. Well, there you That's go. A pretty great call. <laughs> yeah, Derek, Derek, that number one. Um, welcome to the show. We're glad that you like it. Yes. And that's a great observation. I think it's because the nature of their 
duty there is more of a peacekeeping presence. Yeah, they don't have. They really don't have a lot to do. And I think that's a great point. But it's probably baked in, don't you think, guys? Yeah, except Kira has to file so many fucking evaluation reports <laughs> you would not believe. Where, well, Cisco just tosses his baseball around the office, I guess. Yeah, I do. And I know that actually I've read it enough to know that that's actually like a consequence of military sort of operations is that they have a ton of downtime. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially mm-hmm. baseball was invented <laughs> and spread across the nation through the downtime of civil war soldiers, you know, and I know like you'll always hear like soldiers, even now, like in Iraq is like, I, you know, we spent all of our time watching the show or binged what, you know, like they have a lot of downtime, I guess like, like firefighters do too, you know, like that kind of concept mm-hmm. where, and, and especially on this show, it seems like they only work in an emergency, you know, Dax has a lot to do if the dominion is attacking, but yeah, it doesn't seem like that. Yeah. I do think it's generally well. Like uh, O'Brien's working his ass yes, off. Yeah, O'Brien's working his ass off, and, and Odo's always doing it. But Odo just because he mm-hmm. he's driven to just talk to Cork and keep on tabs on everything. It's a good yeah, point, though. Yeah, yeah, they don't work. They don't yeah. like little things could have make it seem busier. Like a pay a little more extras just to be on the set more. But also like when they go into Cisco's office, maybe someone else is already there. Like <laughs> right. going over. He's the just GPS like reports. leaning back in his desk, throwing <laughs> yeah. the baseball around. Though, like yeah. boy, it sure is boring here today. <laughs> like he could be in and out of meetings all day. You know, like he doesn't have to like never have anything to do. But I think it's a failure of just sort of like idle imagination. Yeah, yeah. right. For the writers, I think everybody. He's writing the big arching show, but they don't have just like a like a status like an imagination for the status quo. I think it's a, I think so. it's one of the many failures of world building that Star Trek <laughs> wrestles with. Yeah, maybe. All right. Well, that was a great. Yeah, that just, was great. I, yeah, we could talk more about that, but that was a good call, Derek. Uh, moving on, we've got one more call from a person who was called here before. We've got Jeffrey Miller, and then after that, I'll read a quick email. But um, we'll jump into this one from Jeffrey here. Hey, y'all. Uh, it's Jeffrey Miller again. Just say, hey, um, you're not going to be able to put this in your uh, pod because, you know, there's spoilers <laughs> everywhere. But the Latinum thing, yeah, it drives me nuts, too. Because you got to think when uh, who mourns for mourn when Oops. supposedly redacted a thousand bricks. God damn it, guys. Spoilers. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. The, the, the point. I forget which one made, oh, well, you know, the, the latinum jewelry, you know, what's so special about that? You can replicate a diamond or a piece of gold or a piece of jewelry, but what makes it desirable because of its monetary value is the latinum itself. So it's like handing a girlfriend a cubic zirconia ring, and, yeah, it's pretty, but it's not a diamond ring. And I think that's the correlation they're trying to make with the whole damn Latinum thing. But yeah, you're right. It pisses me off too. And it's, so, it's totally subjective. Court, uh, Rom goes on two quests in the great river of, you know, finance or whatever the hell it's called. And one is in season one where they get five bars of gold press platinum. And one's in season seven or captain Cisco. I am jumping in here to protect you from having to hear a spoiler that Cisco kills Picard with a baseball bat in season seven. Jake goes very controversial. They're totally winging the Latinum thing. So anyway, appreciate it, guys. You're doing a great job. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> All right. Um, if you're listening to that one, uh, you may notice that there was something there that we redacted a couple times because uh, there's spoilers in there, and we're not in the spoilers, uh, gentlemen. 
you just listened to that without the spoilers, but you know what I'm talking about. So yes. if you don't mention it, <laughs> yeah. this one will be edited. So going forward, we may edit your calls and some such, but yeah. you knew it yeah. when you called us there, uh, Jeffrey. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree, obviously. We need to, they need to, yeah, that would be a nice little touch is to have a, a consistent measure for it. Yeah, and actually we have we have a, an email from the same guy that spun off on our uh, whole Latinum diatribe and angry fight. You know, it got real, real <laughs> well, not, yeah, so, me and James oh, so aren't friends lat- anymore. So we got a lot of Latinum response over this, huh? <laughs> Right. We should fight yeah, we more got often. Franklin, so, so we can talk about, Lou, we'll, I'll read this email and then we'll get into the uh, Latinum discussion. Okay, yeah. Yeah, or do, we'll, or, we'll yeah, fold the okay. two into one. All right. Discussion. All right. This is uh, Franklin from Florida again. Oh, let's see. Okay. So I will go ahead and read this. After hearing all how wrong I was on the podcast about Latinum not being pressed in the gold, I decided to do some research to vindicate myself and found Latinum has some serious continuity errors. <laughs> not only, spoilers, it can be extracted from gold, but it apparently exists in solid form as jewelry and is made from it. No spoilers. Uh, in Culus, Season 1, Episode 7, Quark tries to bribe Odo with a latinum-plated bucket. In Forsaken, uh, Season 1, Episode 17, Loxana had a latinum brooch stolen. Mm-hmm. More spoilers. In future seasons, it's mentioned the Nagus has a latinum-plated toilet. <laughs> and then Quark says that he'd have a latinum toilet made or something. Were we both wrong? <laughs> Very possible that I was wrong. Uh, anyway, move along home. And as much as I liked the gone with the wind inflection, I'm actually here from Brooklyn. Oh, oh okay. Even though he lives in Florida. <laughs> yeah, lots of people from Brooklyn move to Florida, don't they? In New York. But, oh, do they? Well, old people, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, sorry. I, 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 never not, think, I never think about Brooklyn having a traditional Brooklyn sort of group, even though they do. I think of everybody as being... Hipster implants, but is that the end of the email? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So yeah. basically, the hipster implants are not the people from Brooklyn, though. Like they're mm-hmm. they're people like like me from Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia. Yeah. So basically, Latinum is a nightmare that the writers didn't want to think about too much. Right. It seems like a yeah. It, though it, I always assumed like Loaxana's brooch was gold pressed Latinum instead of bars that was pressed and then had Latinum inside the brooch maybe but i don't think anybody knows what the fuck they're talking about when they're writing about latinum they're just making it up as they go along yeah i i agree it seemed pretty early though it seems like like someone could have spent half a morning in the writer's room just kind of creating the bible on this thing yeah. it is a like it it's a source of frustration because it's a pivotal point for a pivotal character on the show. Yeah. And if well, you're going to have a lot of this sort of intertrading and bartering. I think there's, they're I, narrowing it down to, it's a binary. There's a lot of latinum, which is five bars or more. <laughs> and anything less than five bars is a deal. Five bars is five bars. Wow. And then later, you know, we get from the, some of that redacted <laughs> voicemail and such, we get more than five bars even, which is like blowing my mind here. But well, I remember when the short version is if it's less than five bars, it's a deal. If it's five bars, oh, my God, five whole bars yeah. is infinity. But that is different than what like like a few weeks we see Nog put out several bars onto a desk, probably 15. Are those bars or strips? I don't know, but they don't call them like think- it. 
like they so they call them strips. I think sometimes they say the word strips, but most of the time they're talking yeah. about bars. Well, strips oh, God, are it's like just, all, just it's all a mess. Strips are smaller yeah. than bars. What that's is like that's But what is the strips to bar ratio? I'm not on memory alpha right now, but <laughs> I, I bet know. you it could tell us. Okay, yeah, I could do that homework. I might, I might, I might do that for later. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, well, let's not waste time on it right now. We're probably going a little. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, but, but 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 yeah, and then I think uh, Jeffrey was right. Yeah, it's it's a scarcity thing is also where you get the worth from it because you you can decide on. I don't think I got my. I point. Mean, I don't think I got my point out from last week. I'm saying that if gold is valuable because it's pretty to look at, but it's not. It yes, was there, started it take, that way, wait, wait, and then stop, it decided stop. it was no, a no, scarcity. No, no, no. Let me give me my whole. Let me give my whole thing. <laughs> sorry, gold sorry, is I'm there an because it's pretty to look at. So then it was scarce, but we still it was desirable because it was pretty to look at. Look at like everything Donald Trump is in Donald Trump's house. So, okay, so if latinum is valuable for that reason, to encase it in gold strips is ridiculous because then oh, it's just the James, same here, as this gold. Is, we've had this conversation. It's just this dumb thing that the writers couldn't keep straight. <laughs> That's it, guys. You, you encase it in latinum because it's a liquid. How else are you going to measure it? It's oh a standard. God. You guys are thinking about it more than Ira Stephen Bear or Roundy <laughs> But Moore therefore, it's not valuable if you're not, if you can't look at it, it's not valuable. Oh, my God. It's an assumed worth. The gold is worthless. Oh, that's almost spoiler material, but it's whatever. not worthless. It's got perceived. Value. Well, the gold is worthless in the Star Trek universe. Oh, I just mean that comes up later. Sorry, gold spoilers. Is a trading. Gold is a trading because you can manufacture, you can replicate gold, so it's whatever. All right, but sorry. Well, so, yeah. Hugh was right. You, Hugh, you were right to tell us to shut up. But okay, let's just yeah. let's just send it. The uh, the phone number and the email address, Wade. Oh yes, yes. Please give us a call at nine one seven four zero eight. Three eight nine eight. All right. And w- what is the email address again? Is uh, it- well, robot voice says. Yeah, you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, listen to robot voice. Yeah. It's always. Is it the rules of acquisition podcast or rules of acquisition podcast? I don't. It's rules. Of, I think. Yeah, you made it. <laughs> I, I did, but it was a long time ago, buddy. <laughs> yes, it's rules of acquisition podcast. Yes. At gmail.com. Listen to the robot voice. He'll tell you that Acquisition too. is not the most easiest word to... No, we could not have maybe thought though. something else out there. <laughs> yeah. Too late but, now. <laughs> We've been doing it for a year or more. Yep. Yeah. All right. We done? All right. Thanks again for right. listening to Rules of Acquisition. Join us next week. And until then, three to beam out. Beep. Beep, beep, beep. Do you know the cunt weasels that run this show have a call in line where you can express your DS9 wishes and DS9 dreams into their ear holes. They will play them on air and try to be nice to you, because one day they hope to sell you Blue Apron snacks and underwear made out of Modal. The number is 917-408-3898. That number again is 917-408-3898. You will probably want to talk about how hot Dax and Bashir are. That is great. These pretentious asses also love it when people say they are wrong. So feel free to do that. James will probably go off on a knowingly obtuse rant about construction issues or political sophistication. We know you love that. Again 917-408-3898. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes.